Hey everyone, welcome back to Love God and Your Neighbor. This is Reverend Laura Hutchinson, pastor of First Christian Church in Anniston, Alabama. I'm glad that you're here. Um, I hope that your Lenten season is progressing um, full of contemplation and discipline and spiritual um, reflection. Today we're going to be talking about sin, that, oh, that's so popular subject that everybody just loves to talk about. Uh, Of course, I talk about sin, I think, a little bit differently than a lot of ministers out in the world do, because I don't talk about sin in the sense that uh, if you sin, you go to hell. That's just not the way I read the scriptures. I, I talk about sin in the sense that sin causes us pain. Sin um, breaks down our relationships, our relationships with one another, and most importantly, our relationship with God. And so sin is something that causes us harm. And God does not want us to be harmed because God loves us. And so that is why God wants us to live sin-free lives. And that is why God sent Jesus to die for us so that we could be saved and redeemed from our sins. So today we're talking about the first sin. We're talking about the story of Adam and Eve and uh, in the Garden of Eden. And, And so Again, I may be taking a different take on this than you've heard before. Maybe not. I don't know. It depends on who you've been hearing preaching recently or about this particular subject. So I hope you like it. I hope it speaks to you. And I'm praying that as you journey closer to the cross, journey further um, Easter and closer to Easter and, and all of the celebrations of the resurrection that first we contemplate on what it was that led us to that point. So I pray for you and I love you and I look forward to hearing from you again soon. Bye. Let us pray. My wonderful God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Now, during the season of Lent, our primary focus is on, or one of our primary focuses is on our sinful nature and on the sins of humanity that ultimately drove Jesus to the cross. And we can't talk about sin without taking a look at the story that our Bible tells of the origin origin of sin, Adam and Eve. Now with the story of Adam and Eve, we can easily get bogged down in irrelevant details and debates. For example, did Adam and Eve really exist? Did the Garden of Eden really exist? If so, where is it? Is this really how sin first came into existence? Did the serpent really talk to Eve? And if Adam and Eve were really the first people, who did their children marry? 
and on and on and on, right? So my answer to these questions is usually this. It doesn't matter. Maybe this is how it happened. Maybe it isn't. But the literal events that took place in the Garden of Eden don't matter to us nearly as much as the truths that are expressed in the story, much like Jesus' parables. Now the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall die. Now one of the criticisms that I get about Christianity is that Christianity um, worships a restrictive and controlling God. And yes, it is true that God does set limits for us, but in this story we see that God gave Adam both freedom and limits. And notice that the God-given freedoms vastly outnumbered the limitations. After all, Adam was free to eat from any tree of the garden except one. The thing is, limits or boundaries are important for everyone when living a good and healthy life. As a pastor, I am constantly advising people to set healthy boundaries for themselves or for the people in their lives. Because boundaries protect us. From crossing into dangerous territory, both physically and emotionally. And I can't imagine a more important boundary to set than to keep the innocence of humanity intact. So think about your children when they were little, or someone else's children whom you loved. Think about the way they approached life, how they approached the world. Before they experience injury or betrayal, they have a sense of wide-eyed wonder about everything. Life is an adventure, and they carry no baggage with them because no one has sinned against them, and they haven't sinned against anyone else yet. There is a peace in a small child that adults simply don't have. And that's because they're still innocent. That is the state of innocence that God's original intention was for all of us. It's the reason that God sought to protect us from the knowledge of good and evil. But now, because of sin, people know good and evil experientially, not just in theory. Because of sin, we don't just read about it or know about it. We live it. So knowledge is a tricky thing after all, because once we know that something exists, we feel compelled to explore it, to touch it, to taste it, to smell it, to understand it, and to control it. The author Michael Crichton made a fortune in his life writing about that very thing. His books like Jurassic Park, Next, Prey, and Westworld all explore the dangers of practicing science without ethical boundaries. And they all make the claim, just because we can, doesn't mean we should. 
Boundaries are good for every living creature on the planet, and our sin is not honoring the boundaries that God set for us. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And she said, Well, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You won't die. Because God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then both of their eyes were opened and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. So the serpent told Eve that if she ate of the forbidden fruit, then her eyes would be opened and she would be like God. And so she ate and her eyes were, in fact, opened. And I think that this is the greatest truth that we have to take away from this text. That sin originates with our desire to be like God. Now, we may not know that that's what our desire is. I don't know a whole lot of people who walk around going, I want to be like God. But think about it. Almost everything that we do that is considered sinful is our attempt to be in control, our attempt to have more than God gives us, Our attempt to know more than is good for us to know or than is our right to know. Our attempt to desire to know as much as God knows about everything and so on and so forth. The attempt to be like God is the foundation of all sin and so, therefore, that is where Adam and Eve fell. But how can wanting to know something be bad? I stand here before you with a master's degree. Obviously, I know things, right? Isn't knowledge a good thing? Are we supposed to, be, to remain willfully ignorant to please God? Some might say yes, but as a person who has a hunger for knowledge and a curiosity about this world that God created, and as a person who thinks that in most cases, willful, willful ignorance is really dangerous. I say that we need to be careful when addressing these questions. I think that there is nothing wrong with learning. In fact, I think it's probably a virtue. God gave us the ability to learn. God created us with curious minds. Going to school and getting an education, reading books, expanding our minds are all good things. They help broaden our minds and empower us to answer God's call in our lives. But there is a difference between wanting to learn and thinking that we have the right or even the ability to know what God knows. 
thinking that you can and should be able to attain anything you want at any cost. Because it takes humility to look at something and say, I would love to know that, but it's not my place to know it. Even if you're able to know it, to be able to look at it and say, I shouldn't. Now, have you ever known someone who could not stand to not know something? Have you ever known someone like that? My grandmother was like that. It ate her alive to know that someone had a secret that she couldn't know. Oh, my goodness. You should have seen what she would try to do uh, to try and get you to tell her what you knew. She wasn't a gossip. She wouldn't have gone around and told everyone once she knew it. But it drove her nuts if she couldn't know it for herself. It also drove her nuts when I did not have the same curiosity that she had. Don't you want to know? Because she would say, Laura, does so-and-so know something? And I'd be like, yes. And she'd say, well, did you ask her what it was? And I'd say, no. And she'd go, what? How could you not want to know? I mean, it drove her crazy. And she's not the only one like that, right? The entire gossip column paparazzi machine is fueled by the fact that people believe that they have the right to know everything that there is to know about everyone who becomes famous, whether they ask to be famous or not. I mean, the belief that we deserve to know everything is what killed Princess Diana, after all, right? Knowledge, or the search for knowledge without perfect humility, is a dangerous thing. And human beings have proven over and over again that we are not capable of exhibiting the amount of humility needed to wield such power without messing things up. Now, In addition to wanting to be like God, eating the forbidden fruit represented humanity's rejection of God as the source of divine wisdom. And it represented humanity's choice to pursue wisdom apart from God. The fact is God created us to be in relationship with God and also to depend on God for everything, including wisdom. In the garden, before they ate of that tree, Adam and Eve had everything they needed and more to live happy, content lives in perfect relationship with God, with each other, with creation itself. They would have grown in knowledge and wisdom as it was, as they were. They would have grown in knowledge and wisdom Because that was the way God created them to be. But that knowledge and wisdom would have come from God, not from themselves or their own pursuits. You see the difference? And they would have known nothing but peace had they simply respected the one boundary that God had set for them. But think about this. Both Adam and Eve seemed perfectly content to dwell in their peaceful existence without going against God's one request. They did. They didn't seem interested in that tree at all. 
And it's possible that humanity wouldn't ever have collapsed into sin if it weren't for one thing. Let's not forget the tempter in our story. He wasn't a bad guy in the sense that we're used to today. He didn't lie. Eve didn't, in fact, die when she touched the tree or ate the fruit, did she? At least she didn't stop breathing anyway. And her eyes were opened, and she suddenly knew things that she didn't know before. He also didn't force her to do anything. She wasn't tied down or forced to eat the fruit. The serpent was never violent. In fact, some people today could make the argument that the serpent was trying to help Eve. Maybe it was even trying to be her friend. But that's how temptation works, right? It sidles up to you, and it tells you things that seem harmless, if not wildly attractive. And it tells you those things until it convinces you that it is okay to cross one little boundary or to break one little rule. Now, many of you have given up something for Lent, as I have. And if you've given up something that you truly desire or crave, then maybe you know what this feels like, like recently. I've given up sweets, which is something that I've been eating way too much of since the holidays, and the temptation to cheat has been strong, of course. And I can tell, cannot tell you how many times I have said to myself, Oh, it's okay. No one will know. You can have just one cookie. You'll get right back on the wagon after that. Sound familiar? Can anyone else relate? See, it's not hard for me to imagine what addicts go through when they're working to beat their addictions. Because that serpent sounds so convincing. Acting like your best friend, just doing you a favor, all the while working to convince you to do something that will undermine everything that God wants for you in your life. Jesus knows what that is like as well. Last week we saw Jesus experience temptation in the wilderness and we saw how God himself walked with the serpent and faced him down. Temptation is no joke. And the more that we are aware that we're being tempted by something that is not our friend, the more we're apt to turn to God for the strength that we need to resist. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Now I've already said that the serpent didn't lie when it told Eve that she wouldn't die when she ate the fruit. And yet God, who never lies, told Adam that he would die. So which statement is true? Well, when Eve bit down on that fruit, when Adam bit down on that fruit, they did not cease to breathe and their hearts continued to beat, but death would certainly come to them and to all of humanity after them. 
But the death that God warned about would be more than physical, of course. Besides severing the cord of life, sin would shatter the harmonious relationship that existed between Adam and his environment, his wife, and God. Although Adam and Eve did not die physically on the day that they ate the fruit, they died spiritually, and all of their descendants have been spiritually dead as well. Unless they have been made alive once more by God's Spirit. Grace is God's action to right the wrong of that original sin. Throughout the scriptures, we see God's grace in action trying to bring us back into right relationship with God, with each other, and with creation. We saw God's grace in Abraham's life. We saw God's grace when Moses led the Israelites out of captivity, when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments to help guide the Israelites back into right relationship. We saw God's grace with every judge God sent to the Hebrew people to save them from their own mistakes. We saw God's grace in every prophet sent by God to warn the people to change their ways. And we saw God's grace born into the world in the form of the divine and human Jesus. God's breath. God's Holy Spirit filled our lungs at the dawn of creation, and we gave up that spirit when we fell into sin. But over and over again, God tried to give his spirit back to us. And he finally succeeded in Christ Jesus, the Messiah, our Savior. As we continue now to walk with Jesus through the Lenten season, Remember the sins of humanity that broke our connection with God and everyone around us. And then remember what it took to finally, once and for all, repair that bond between God and God's beloved humanity. Amen? Amen. Amen.